Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Morante, how are you? Hey, man, I am fantastic. How Good. are you? I'm good. For for those looking, you you got your your baby face on. If you're on, I you, do. you got you got the the clean shaven look there. I do. I do. Nice, I, you know, I, to, I, I uh, so I did. I had to clean up. I went to an event last night that was actually uh, pretty dope. We're gonna talk about it. I'm gonna just drop this name on you, and, and I want you to go do some homework, and we're gonna come t- come back and talk about it. So my pen is in out. hand. My pen is in hand. What, what's this name? Ghetto Gastro. Ghetto Gastro. Yeah. Right. And if you don't know, you better ask somebody or look it up. Like we're gonna talk about it. It's dope. All right, all right. So, yeah. Season three, episode twenty. Holy shit. Yeah. They'll crank along. We got an amazing guest. We uh I'm I'm really excited to to dive in. You know, actually without further ado, you know, we have Evan Dalglo of mm-hmm. uh well, predictive hospitality now, head of predictive hospitality uh by Jarvis. And I'll let him kind of talk about the name change and all this stuff in the future. But Evan, thanks so much for joining us, man. We're really excited. Like, I'm ready to nerd out today. Yeah, welcome to the show. We got lots of good questions about this. This is uh, oh yeah, this is this is the pinnacle of my vacation rental career. Getting on the No BS <laughs> podcast. That's how you know you've made it. <laughs> oh, oh man, if my if, if my if head only. got any bigger right now, <laughs> <laughs> right. if only that were true. No man, and, welcome. And hey, this is the No BS short to rental podcast and that was a total bs so um we'll let it slide right yeah. no it, no that's in my book no it was super excited it. to have you on um you know we've been wanting to to chat with you a while we've we uh i think the i can't remember it was the first time i met you was at the executive summit i might have met you before but that's the first time we actually had some conversations actually you know realized how like out of you know it was remember that uh neck roll or that back roller thing what was that called yeah the chirp wheel i remember your backwards so i have my house and this hurts and i was like let me just bring this chirp wheel next thing you know john's rolling on the floor in the middle of this conference cracking his back yeah you obviously don't know this guy hey (laughs) (laughs) but but it was not surprised uh, to hear that it it sold me yeah i I need to get one i still haven't bought one but I, i need to get one i'm just proud i can get up and touch my toes every day Amen, man. Who are you telling? Oof. I know, I know, right? So, Evan, let's talk. Like, I'm looking at your experience, and we're looking at experience, and you've been in the real estate space, you know, for for quite a while. But you know, let, let's go back. You know, how do you go from a medic into a sales manager for properties? Back, you know, you're a medic for eleven months, or maybe you were previous to that. I'm just we're just looking at your. You know, talk to us about you know your experience in in the kind of transitioning into not where you are today, but at least getting into real estate and in your, you got some multifamily shit, you got all sorts of stuff going on. hundred percent. But the, I will say the medic was one of the most exciting parts of my, my life. Cause after high school, I took a gap year. I went to Israel for the year, middle of the middle East, yep. totally different ballpark. And uh, my dad's a doctor. I had no idea what I wanted to do at 18 years old. So I'm like, you know, let me just volunteer back in an ambulance, see where that goes. And within a week, they threw me right in. I was doing CPR. I was compressions on people. I almost delivered a baby. Like they threw me right in the heat of it. Uh, And I loved it, but I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. So I I cut that out real quick. And at that point, I'm like, I don't want to go to school either. So how do I drop out of school? Let me get my real estate license. And soon after that, I, I realized that all these realtors had the shittiest photos. They were taking photos like in the mirror, like with this and their, their camera of these massive houses. So what I would do is every time I would call for a showing or even I would just sift out like the multi-million dollar homes and I'd say, hey, your photos are garbage. Give me 500 bucks cash. I'll put my drone in the sky. This is like 2014 before, before drones were cool. And right. give me a couple hundred bucks cash and in 10 minutes, I'll have the best photos for you. So at that point I was selling some houses. I had a drone marketing company. I was getting in the freshest houses. But real quick, I realized that every bartender in Florida is a real estate agent. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I got to level up. And then from there, one of my, I, went, I went to get my master's in sustainable real estate development. It's a super shiny piece of paper. It doesn't mean much, but I learned all about sustainability. 
And uh, one of my buddies and I found a really cool opportunity. We got tipped off on the, the physical side of e-commerce, uh, the warehousing market. Everyone thinks these packages magically arrive at your door. They don't. They go through a big bow to the port, to these massive warehouses, to the smaller warehouse, then to your door. So we raised some capital and we went after warehousing in New Jersey, which is responsible for like 30% of all e-commerce traffic in the country. Yeah. Uh, with I can imagine with board and everything coming uh, yeah, in. Yeah, okay. I came from, Simon Lehman and I came from that world. Well, like, like supply chain right. logistics in warehousing, 3PL, all nine. Yeah. I, you know what's up. That, yeah, that yeah, world's hot. It's publicly, public enemy number one right now. Like everyone yeah. hates warehousing. They want their packages in 30 minutes, but they don't want a warehouse in their backyard. True. Right. Yeah. Well, it, come look at Atlanta, man. It's uh, yeah, well, it's another story for another day. But so, yeah, from there we we essentially just start. We we called ourselves the Dirt Guys. We would call it. We knew every single piece of land from New York City to Delaware. We shook hands with every farmer, and we said, "Look, you do a deal with us, where we pick up the phone, or you do a deal with the suit and ties, and they muscle you around." So we ended up uh, we ended up getting about thirteen, fourteen hundred acres under contract, and. We partnered up with a major developer and all that stuff is going through the development pipeline right now, which is exciting. And uh, fortunately, I'm just watching from the sidelines and now I'm in the vacation rental industry. That's uh, that's inside. That's that's interesting. Like, it's interesting that you, you know, that's the direction you would look. Go back a little bit before that. You talked about you getting your master's in sustainable real estate. Right. Uh, what the fuck's that? Yeah, so I focused on sustainable technology. It, it was out, uh, that was back in like 2017 or 2018 when sustainability was really becoming a spotlight. The idea is, is that sustainability can equal profitability, energy efficiency, certain materials. So it's right. not cost anymore. It's not, you don't have to have one or the other. You can have people, planet, and profit. So the idea was is that if I get this degree, I'm going to be popular for the next decade at least. I mean, it's smart because, again, like this isn't like some we can bullshit around like this has to happen. And this is where the, one of the things I definitely stick my flag in the ground around is sustainability is a must. It's in as a capitalist, an ethical one, I like to believe. But like it, it's always the pairing of the two. Right. That that will build the markets of the future. It has to happen. So it does make sense. The sooner you can make it happen, the more you can get into that space, the more you build the business case around it, the faster it happens always, right? So I, I, I think that's a smart move. I think it was ambitious, but I also think it's a long way to go. Like, where are you going with that now, right? Like, how does the tech world play with the sustainability world, especially with how it relates to, you know, our market and our space? So- one step back the, for the warehousing market, the idea that I like is, for example, the top of a warehouse, a 10 football field sized warehouse. Yep. That's just an empty piece of, of land. It's just a big square. Put solar right. panels on that. Allow the energy from the solar panels to power the warehouse. It reduces the strain on the energy grid. Small things like that go such a long way. So it's like the tiny things like that I, I'm a big fan of. And you can lease that out to the solar developer. So you make money too on the, on the back end. The nice thing about that is you're not you're not just going ahead and putting a whole solar field up that's only going ahead and only doing that. Right, and taking up that land. Communities yeah. and the same things with the wind farms and all these different things. It's more than just hey, we're we're doing this. Like it changes you know residential areas like for better or worse. You know, it depends on what side you're on here. You know, the, you know, there's lots of negative things happening, but if you're taking a warehouse that's there anyways, it's that, that everyone wants, but everyone, no one wants, but everyone needs, right? Why don't you multi-purpose it? You know, I, I love that idea. And it makes, it makes so much sense. Well, I think, and you have to, like, let's be very realistic. Like every strip mall in the world doesn't need to become an Amazon warehousing center, right? Like, like, I, I think it's about having conversations about what you want your communities to look like and how you build out purpose-driven communities, right? Like you want your packages, they have to come through some sorting facility somehow, some way for those packages to get delivered. Does that mean that that, you know, that you take an area that's better for housing for that or, or farming? I think it's about how you do it. That has to be the conversation because the worlds are going to coexist. Like people aren't just going to just say like, oh, I don't want my pack or whatever. So like, how do you build these futures and build these communities, even within the short-term rental space, right? Like that also incorporate, like you can have these conversations of like what we want our communities to look like. 
but it's about having these conversations, not with the zero sum mindset. It's like, how does this, how do we make this work versus we just don't want you here? Like, well, let me, let me ask you guys a question. What percent of retail sales in the United States were e-commerce? Ooh, uh, I'm going to guess 80, 85. Gonna, I was going to guess 70%. 15. For real? One five. Holy shit. For we have... We are just at the beginning of this warehousing boom. So I don't know how Americans think they're going to get along buying stuff online uh, when we're literally just at the beginning of this entire trend. Well, I, taking a step back and thinking about, you know, I mean, we're talking groceries. We're talking everything here. We're talking about everything that's purchased. And, you know, so, yes, of course, you know, I, I we just literally just got on, you know, to getting uh, groceries delivered because I'm like, screw it um you know we're signing up for it and we'd always go to the store and we'd go to like five stores because we have and there's a need to go ahead and do that with our you know with with dietary restrictions and whatnot but that's crazy that's a crazy number to me and i know that's not 100 percent what we're here to talk about but i want to kind of quickly go back to <laughs> i know we're on a total different tangent i love it the uh looking at sustainable i think the key me looking at the key for sustainability is 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 communities being open to retrofitting existing, like it's the whole, like the three R's, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Retrofitting, you know, is part of that recycling aspect of it and, and utilizing these already built and established instead of demolishing and, you know, and using, you know, these things that are already established and then turning it into to multi-purpose as far as now we're getting energy, we're doing all these different things and creating sustainable practices in the same way. That's a popular concept called cradle to cradle. So the idea of when it's made to when it's recycled. Right now, everything is cradle to grave. You make it, you throw it out, use it, you throw it out. So if we can start following that trend of cradle to cradle, we just have this constant reuse of, of products and, and tools and, and don't have to constantly throw things out and put in the garbage mountains. Love it. I love it. Yeah, so, I think for real estate, that's huge too. I think a hundred percent. We're only getting started with where that can go, but I, I think you're a hundred percent right, John. Like you, you know, build and build and rebuild before you build up, right? And 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 just start from scratch it has to be the wave of the future. And I and on especially on the commercial real estate side, we can go into a tangent on that. But I I think there's housing, business. Uh, there's so many repurposed. Look at the malls, dude. Like case point like they have to be reimagined no one's going back i want to chat about why you're actually here and nothing against your history i love it and we can we can nerd out about that all day let's talk about for whatever reason and however your trajectory has brought you to to working for a, a company uh called jarvis ml you know let's talk about you know you know a y jarvis and in and truly, what the fuck is machine learning? Like, That's a bold question. I love it. Right to the point. Yeah, so Jarvis is a machine learning engine. And uh, we actually just rebranded to uh, Adaptive, spelled A-I-D-A-P-T-I-V-E. So it's adaptive, but we just say it as adaptive. And the idea is, is that, so what is a machine learning engine? It's just this word that you hear. You hear about AI. AI is the overall umbrella for anything artificial intelligence, something that learns and improves. Machine learning is a category under AI, I'm in the umbrella. What machine learning is, is it takes massive amounts of data, tons of data, all types. So in the vacation rental industry, it's PMS systems, CRMs, marketing clouds, Google Analytics, home automation systems, anything. And you interconnect it in the brain, which is the machine learning engine. In that engine, it draws meaningful connections. What's the guest purchasing power? What are their preferences? Are they a beach family? Are they a city family? Are they an elderly couple? Are they a business traveler? And then from there, you can, you can automate an output. So what we're doing is, is doing personalization. So with the machine learning engine, you can figure out, are they high purchasing power? What are they looking for? So we can start to show them or even spoon feed them the properties that they want to see. And this comes back to the e-commerce game. So when Jarvis began, it was primarily for the e-commerce industry because personalization is huge there. There's probably 50, 60 companies trying to compete with the best personalization. Um, and we realized real quick that uh, direct bookings are e-commerce. Instead of the package arriving at your front door, the guest arrives at your front door, but the process to purchasing is the same. You go on the website, click some pretty pictures, and you press buy. The problem is, is that no one in the vacation rental industry accepts that 
and they're just playing they're playing their own game. But what's the point when we could just do what Amazon has already taught us? They've already invented the wheel. Let's just copy and paste. So what does that look like for vacation rental managers? How how do they get their minds wrapped around this? Because I love the industry, love the progression of technology and things that are building. And, and this is a part of that wave. But this industry is resistant to change, clearly. So what does that look like for them? How does that picture have to be painted for them to be able to digest this? And that's the most important question. And I've been fortunate to speak at a few conferences about this. And it starts with e-commerce education. Nothing with machine learning. You have to have the foundation if you want to get to machine learning. But the foundation is e-commerce. So learn what, what your website's doing. Open your Google Analytics. Learn mm -hmm. what your revenue per visitor is. What's your acquisition cost? What are your click-through rates? And a click-through rate is something that if you have a button on your website, are people clicking it or are they not clicking it? And right. you can see that on Google Analytics. And if no one's clicking it, get it the fuck out. Go, go put something else there. Double down on what's working before you start adding new things. But what I've learned is that a lot of these managers don't even know what they're, what's in their Google Analytics. So I guess starting with that e-commerce education is huge uh, because at the end of the day, when you look at the OTAs, not Hopper, mm -hmm. Hopper is my favorite OTA. But you look at that, <laughs> that's not BS. Hopper is my favorite OTA. I've been using them for probably 10 years when they were a flight recommendation tool. Yeah, uh, or, And so, uh, uh, so if you look at like Expedia's annual report, they identify as a hybrid travel agency and e-commerce company. And if you Google Expedia Group, their description is 600 billion AI predictions a year on 200 websites in 70 countries. Does that sound like a hospitality operation? No, it's a great question. Yeah. You know, great rhetorical question, or was it rhetorical? But whatever the case, what's interesting to me about, about all this is that, you know, where a lot of people and a lot of property management companies are are tied into their their Google Analytics, right? They have, they have, and they're not even the huge ones. You know, I'm talking companies that have 50 properties, 30 properties. They they're running a solid pay per click SEO. They're they're doing really they're doing great things. They're working with some companies and they and I could list five or six great companies in our our space that are helping them, showing them what's so so eyes have been opened and they're they're starting to open. Okay, but what does that mean? Just because okay, you know what pay per click's working. You you know you know how you're snagging some people. You know, but how does that? How does this, uh, I guess, this observation turn into action? A hundred percent. So what I have seen, I've seen about a hundred vacation rental websites peaked under the hood of about 70 of them. And what I learned is that their pay-per-click is excellent. They put in 5,000, they're getting 10 to 20x returns. I spoke with the property manager last week. They spent seven grand a month for 250,000 in revenue. Like in the e-commerce industry, you're hoping for 2x. So- right. They're, they're doing an excellent job at driving customers to their website, but their conversion rate is abysmal. Their websites are not ready to handle the traffic. Their websites are not ready to convert the traffic that they're driving. So it's sort of a waste because- But do, they, but do they even, is there a need for it? Because for a company that says, say, has you know, 50 units and you know, these 50 units are- you know, there, there isn't, you know, mostly booked, right? They're, they're at 80, 90% occupancy. Like say you get it like an influx of, you know, buyers that want to go ahead and like, like, like who cares? Like who cares if, if they're not optimized to, to go ahead and bring in like a, you know, a thousand new visitors because it's not, it doesn't matter anyways, because I don't know. Why no, do you right. care? Why, why should they care? Right. Like at the end of the day, if they feel like they're doing and they're at this or was it, why should they care? I think is, is the question. Absolutely. So this actually comes back to the e-commerce question. And for the longest time, so let's just, I'm paying you a case study here. Mm -hmm. uh, for the longest time, Amazon was dominating. I think they had like 70% of first results. So if you search the product, it'd be Amazon and Walmart followed and all these big players came along and direct to consumer traffic. So driving customers direct to the website was becoming extremely difficult and everyone was hooked on Amazon. But what happened was, is these little guys, Shopify came around and they, as they say, they armed the rebels with this big technology. And now they're swinging the pendulum back where essentially Amazon has halted all warehouse development. They even, they even retracted a lot of warehouse proposals. Walmart has paused. All these companies are, are done with expansion because the direct guys are now driving customers. They're, they've swung the pendulum back effectively. And the reason that's important 
is because if you don't own your customers and the right to contact them and understand their preferences and affinities, you're going to be subject to use one of these intermediaries. So the idea is if you can have these direct customers, these direct guests, and you can build a list of a million direct guests, that is gold. That's value because a roll-up company is going to see, wow, they have a million guests in their database and we have all this data on them. That's very low acquisition cost going forward. We no longer have to spend $10 a click. We can focus on some really uh, competitive email marketing to get them to come back for essentially free. So that's the idea. So how but, does this work for the mid to small size guy though? Like the mid to small size manager, scaling, scaling is hard, right? Like how did, how, again, and I know the answer is to, to take your time, but focus a portion of it is, but like, not everybody wants to be Vacasa or V-Trip size, right? Like, and so like, how do they play this game effectively, you know, knowing that their scale is only but so much? Yeah. And I, I think it's really like everything else, crawl, walk, jog, run, sprint. So, I mean, at least get a website up and at least start messing around with Google Analytics. Now, let's say you start surpassing 50 properties. I think that's a good time to start having a direct website. Uh, it's your opportunity to just start dabbling with e-commerce. Well, I mean, I, let me pause here. I, I think, you know, you have 20, 20 home team need a direct website. I'm going to, I'm going to go back. Yeah, like, sure. like, I think like if you're, if you're at, you know, you can't just be relying on a, like a Verbo and Airbnb listings and Hopper listings. I mean, uh, 15. If yeah. You, yeah. I mean, think about it. If you're doing it right and you're going to match but, uh, the question, I with think the minor profitability. Absolutely. It's any like, shit, anything after 10, really, if you really want to start getting that going. And, and I think most early. professional hosts or managers, you know, agree with the, that statement. That I think that, you know, the, more of the question of like the medium, the small, the medium is more of like, if you only have so much inventory, mm -hmm. if you only have 20 properties or 50 properties and you don't want to go ahead and like, like, and you, you know that that this is your sweet spot. You're happy. You don't really give a shit about scaling higher than this. You're good at 50 properties, Right you get at 40 properties, like what does machine learning and what does like in, you know, e-commerce bring to you? How does that differentiate yourself and change your game other than potentially being able to raise your price, which is not necessarily always a great thing if you're looking at the greater good of the VR world, the vacation rental world. So until this point, we've been talking about strictly e-commerce. I haven't really introduced any machine learning yet. and just a fact is that machine learning cannot help everyone. Machine learning needs significant data to be impactful. So what we've learned is really, I would say the threshold is about 80 to 100 properties. And the reason is pretty simple. If you go on a website and they have 100 properties, that's overwhelming for the human brain to sift through. But if you have 20 properties, the human brain can go through all 20 in a matter of a minute. So the idea is once you have a lot of properties and there's a lot of action on your website, that's too much cognitive load for any guest to handle, at that point, machine learning can be effective at essentially sort ordering the best properties on the search based on their preferences. So spoon feeding them what they want to see there, powering other property recommendations throughout the website. And the idea is it's like Amazon. You just want to click, like think about it. We've all gone on Amazon and we've clicked a product we didn't need, but we knew it would bring us to more products we would like. Maybe yeah. it's the color, maybe it's the category. Amazon has set this expectation of personalized adaptive shopping. The OTAs do it too. I know Hopper has got a huge machine learning team, Booking, Expedia, everyone's doing it because it's what we're trained to do, especially on social media. Think about this too. If you went on social media and you have 3,000 friends and social media did not personalize the post it showed you, it just gave you all 100,000 posts sort ordered, would that be a fun experience? That'd be brutal. 100%. No, hundred percent. That's the idea. Then, and, and, and now this, this is where it's getting. I, I, it's interesting. I, I think I'd love to see the comparison, actually, of the unfiltered versus the filtered before I make that decision. I because you don't know, you haven't seen it. You're you're looking at something that something learned based on a set of behaviors to say you will like this, right? And I, I want to see the other side of it. I think it's dope. Like, I like it. I like the idea of it. But I also think that there's a variable, th there's a questionable aspect of it is like, what were you not shown and why? Correct. So, so that's, like, that's media. the part. I want to yeah, see yeah, the full yeah, picture. That's, that's total, I, I watched an, an, a very interesting documentary uh, about this a couple of years ago about social media sorting. And I was like, and I'm, I can't think of the name of it right now. Social uh, Dilemma. Yes. It was, it was pretty fucked up. Um, I'm like, what? Uh, 
but that's a different story. Check that one out. Um, but I, I, okay. So I'm loving this. I'm on a site now and I'm getting shown just like on, on, you know, I'm on Amazon or I'm on target and it's showing me when I, when I want to go ahead and, and purchase, cause it knows me, how does, and you know, it just, it's kind of going to that same thing. I'm on my phone. Right. And like, and I'm getting shown like, like, it's so weird now. Like, like I could think something. And it's showing up on my phone, like literally thinking like, like this isn't, uh, this isn't like an exaggeration. This has happened and it's really fucked up, but let's go to like, how does machine learning or, or, or adaptive or whatever, how does it take? And this is where I like, I just, maybe I'm too, I don't want to say dumb. I just, I don't understand. I get learning about the site and based on like where people are searching and clicking on, on the site, but are you taking machine learning specific from URLs and uh, like people, you know that this email address has now signed in and now is part of this new website and that they're, you know, they're Acme property. And I know there's an Acme, so I don't mean that. I mean like generic property management company. We're on here and you know my tendencies or is it, or is it machine learning based on when you go into the web? Like, where does that start? Yeah, mm -hmm. two sides of the story: anonymous and existing customers. So, for the existing customers, you have a ton of data: what they've done on your website, how they react to your marketing, how they interact with everything, uh, their booking history, their financials, uh, and everything in between. So, existing customers, it's pretty clear that machine learning can connect the dots. But more importantly, the anonymous visitors. This is going to get substantially harder by 2024 because there's gonna be no more cookies and Apple, there's no more sharing of data. Apple is hogging it all to themselves because it's very valuable behaviors that they can take and personalize to us. So for the anonymous visitor, how does, how does adaptive personalize? The first thing we do, actually, what, do you, what does an anonymous visitor carry with them to your website? There's probably a several dozen data points, like your IP address, where they're located. Are they in Beverly Hills or a small town in Oklahoma? Uh, what are, so the things like that, what device are they using and things that are connected. And you can sort of take about a couple dozen data points and start, start to already draw some connections. So what we do is we have lookalike models. So based on the last 50 conversions, let's say John lands on a website. John, you look like these guys that converted the last 50. So we'll start you off going down this path. It's better than generic, but it's not perfect because it's not personalized to you. It's just mm -hmm. similar to what your behaviors are. Then Adaptive has this 360 degree tracking where we can see what you click on, how you behave, how you interact with the website. Real quick, we're going to learn you don't want the two bedroom condos. We're going to learn you don't want the city. We're going to learn what you're looking for. So that way, the next set of recommendations can improve tailored to you. So essentially, you start with a, a lookalike model and then the tracking enriches your specific data set and builds your customer profile. And this is in real time. I mean, this is happening in real time. It's right. not like next time I log in, it's the next time I click something, boom. It's no changed. login. No login. Yeah, yeah. It's connected to your IP address and, and everything. Just you're you the web visitor. If this you log in, book. even better for us because we can connect the dots much easier. But the idea is, is that it takes a customer probably two, two weeks to book sometimes. So they come back to the site three, four, five times before they press buy. We want to reduce right. that to one or two, but regardless, we have to follow their journey every time they come back, make sure those recommendations are even better. And is this connecting with their existing, like, like a uh, card abandonment and retargeting and all this stuff It's already, that they already have in here. You're just connecting to it and, you, and you're using your, your new knowledge and your new data sets and placing it into their existing infrastructure or new infrastructure yeah. if it's necessary. Uh, to go ahead and and get them to to buy quicker, basically. So that the idea behind adaptive is that it matches all your existing designs. We don't want to replace anything. We just want so at the bottom of every at the core of every single PMC, they have their CRM, their PMS stuff. They don't want to move like stuff that's like moving mountains. It's it's their core. And at the top, they have the UI UX, the website. Jarvis fits right in the middle with a line of code. Everything flows through Jarvis and then adapts to that based on their behavior. So. We don't want to replace anything. We just want to power their existing designs. But I think, uh, let, me, let me give you an idea of what, I guess, the flow of a guest who's trying to book and how the interaction with personalization changes. So the no BS PMC has got uh, several hundred properties. And now you have- Hell yeah, we do. Hell yeah, we do. We're, we're crushing. 
Yeah, and it's straight to the point. There's no fluffy photos. You show them exactly what they want, no BS. And these guests come to the website and they have an idea of when they want to travel, but they're not super high intent. They're not ready to put in a date and time. So that's at the top, the search bar, but not everyone's ready to do that. So right under, we recommend having recommended properties for you using that Amazon language there. So now they can have personalized property recommendations and just start to click because they're not ready to purchase. They're not, they don't know what to do on these websites. They're not going to read the about section and all these clunky paragraphs. They just want to click. It's what our brains are trained to do. Now, every click, every engagement, the machine learning engine learns more. So maybe they click on a property. We recommend at the bottom of the property page, put another set of recommendations. Don't let the guest hit a dead end. Let that, maybe the machine learning engine was close on the first guest. Give it a second guess. And then right. they start to click around. You know, they didn't book. But you know, maybe you captured their email with a pop-up 15% off. So now we have their email. So now we do abandoned browse. We send them, instead of sending similar properties, we send them properties tailored to them. The idea is those personalized property recommendations bring them back to the website. So now they're back to the personalized experience, which is even more effective because we have a whole set of engagements. And now right. they're ready to put in a date. So they put in a date and now they have a search section where maybe 120 pop properties populate. That's a lot of properties. So what Jarvis and Adaptive would do is sort order and personalize, essentially heavyweight the front end and spoon feed them what they want to see, increase that enthusiasm and get them to convert. Yeah, get, show them those top 20 of the 120 and you know, knowing everything you've learned in the, in the past one or two interactions. And how does this, and I love this by the way, and it, like I can yeah. nerd out all day about this shit. What you learn from if you know, okay, now you're a sign-in guest, like, okay, you've booked, you, you decide to book and you know, does every time you sign in, obviously, you know, you're getting, you're just dialing this in more for them. Like, you know, what they booked, you know, you know, like even to the point where like for amenities, like, you know, you know, they've gone ahead and they've purchased, you know, this, this extra amenities here, they've done this, you know, they wanted to do the deep sea fishing. Uh, they wanted to go ahead and get a massage. Like now you're really going ahead and you know, when they booked, you know, who they booked with, you know, it was a, a guy's weekend, you know, in Vegas. Uh, but maybe in, in the spring they go, you know, they do a family trip here. Right. Um, so the, you're learning all these things in, in being able to, I love this. So let me take that a step further. And this is uh, what I've coined in the idea of predictive hospitality. How do you predict what the guest wants before they land on the website, on the website, during the stay, and then beyond? So, okay, we predicted the entire website. Now, during this day, we're starting to see tablets, these guest view guides. Now, how do we learn what they want to eat? Are they going to events? Are they just hanging out at the beach? Do they need upsells? Are they traveling with a family? Do they need a crib set up beforehand? Are they celebrating something? If you can gather all these touch points, that's how you blur the line between this Ritz-Carlton service where you have that all set up in advance. And then they just, everything's predicted. Everything's already done for them. That is like the best feeling. Like if you go to a Ritz-Carlton and they just set everything up for you, you're like, Wow, they're really rolling out the red carpet for me. And then now they had the best experience. Yeah. Now beyond, how do you retain them? You don't just send them annoying sales emails and, and, and these, these blasts. You personalize the retention game. And that way you keep them warm. Uh, Jarvis can optimize the best time to email, when not to email, when to email, personalize property recommendations. That way you keep them in the loop with things they want to see, not just generic noise to all a million guests. And right. that's how this idea of predictive hospitality from the beginning till the end and repeat, that's the future. But that's that's running full speed and we're not quite there yet. We're still in, very much in the water. No, but, no, but is this generic, is, is but generic this is emailing dead? So it's funny because I email, I email I'm, I'm in sales. So I email yeah. these PMCs all the time. Like, stop emailing me. I'm like, well, you stop emailing your guests. Your unsubscribe rate is on all time high. So you, you call spam them, out. Them, you call you them spam out on them to call them out on them spamming their guests. That is incredible. Say, say it a little right. nicer, but yes, I do because sometimes they, they have to get off their high horse and realize they're doing the same thing I am. I'm at least trying to help them stop doing that. I, I love that in so, so many ways because I, 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 I can't stand blind email blasts. I just, ah, well, yeah. it's definitely not dead. And you asked if it's dead, it's absolutely yeah. not dead. And uh, we can also personalize property recognitions via text, which I think is going to be the next frontier. Well, no. So I think that's different, right? Targeted yeah. versus like, like re really targeted versus targeted. It, the the targeted generic blasts are the ones that I'm talking about that I don't. You gotta add value. Mostly yeah. generic emails. They're they're a waste of time, and the marketing team is just you doing them because the boss said so.
Can you say that again? I, I think there's a lot of companies out here that need to hear that. Like, yeah. And hopefully the data is going to show that that works. I, I would say fewer emails once a quarter is better than a monthly email that is generic and just noise. There's so much noise and you have to cut through it. So if you can spend a lot more time personalizing a quarterly email, that will be significantly more effective. You'll, you'll reduce your unsubscribes. And more importantly, you'll, you'll increase your retention. People don't want to get hit with noise. There's too much noise in this world. Everyone's hitting yeah. us. So how do you cut through that noise? It's with personalization. Now, are you, is this part of what you offer or is this, you know, is this part of the engine that, that comes with it? Is it like email marketing campaign tools and stuff like that, where it is, you know, you have uh, on top of A-B testing, you also are going to bring in like, depending on, you know, again, they booked this last time. So we're going to show this, that, you know, that they, they, they are spending over $10,000 a night. They are, they're luxury, right? So that you're going to curate a different experience for them as a, as a family that is, is booking a, a three, three bedroom that, you know, at whatever, you know, $500 a night, it's a, it's a different experience. And so, and so this is all part of what the offering as well is, is it, and is it handheld? Or is it here are your tools? Good luck, because uh, like that's what a lot of of these companies are offering. Like, hey, we got these great, amazing services. You can do hey, wait, you know, all this shit, but no one has the time or the bandwidth. So this is this is how easy it is, and uh, we power the existing emails. So if they have Mailchimp, if they have Clavio, if they have Emma, whatever it is, we all they have to do is take their existing template, where the property recommendations, and just put one line of code. And that'll populate all the properties per person. So it's it's less than two minutes of effort for them to just put personalized recommendations on their emails. I think the the problem is is that a lot of these property managers don't think personalized properties will have an impact. They think we're selling just a pretty widget or just some cool product. They don't understand that this actually drives direct business. Well, so, what is, what is that? that, is, that the, is that the difference? Is that the e-commerce angle to this? Yes. In a e nutshell, they get it. E-commerce gets it and it's uh, personalization wins in e-commerce 10 out of 10 times. Uh, there's case studies on it. Like there's, there's never a static set of recommendations that beat a personalized recommendations at scale. So you have a hundred thousand web visitors. Those five static recommendations are not for all a hundred thousand. Yeah, so right. um, in e-commerce, this is this now the standard when in hospitality, it's uh, becoming increasingly difficult. And I will say it does not work for hotels. This is actually an interesting point. Every hotel room is more or less the same. Maybe an extra right. bed or a balcony differentiating, but they're all the same. There's not, not that even many room type. Is it? But you still, so you only have four or five yeah. different options. You know, yeah. overall, it's not like you're going to have exactly. you know a property management company that has a thousand units has a thousand different options. Yeah, and each property's got a pool, jacuzzi, fireplace, gym, pool table. Like they've got a million different things they're listing. Yeah. So I think that's also important is that this specifically works for vacation rentals because each vacation rental is unique. All right, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Sure. Um, and, and from what I've heard about your offerings, I've heard it's amazing. It's really stinking expensive. I don't, I don't like what's, I, I can't see the ROI. Like I don't like, like what, what's your retort to that? You nailed it. That is the number one selling point that I have to, the objection handling that I have to deal with. It is, it is not cheap. Um, but the ROI we go for is minimum 10x return. So the product started at the few thousands every single month. Just the recommended properties on the homepage, that can increase your, your booking revenue by tens, if not hundreds of thousands. So we have a public uh, case study with the Twitty organization in the Outer Banks. The yeah. Twitties are on their way to 1,200 properties. And this case study was done by Harvard and Forbes. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely backed by solid people. And just by putting those property recommendations on their homepage, we were adding hundreds of thousands of dollars to their direct booking, simply for the reason that not everyone is ready to put a date in time. It's just, it gets them in this clicking booking funnel. They just click, 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 and they become more familiar with the company. It builds this trust and enthusiasm, and they come back again and eventually book. Jarvis predicts which properties they book, and they, a lot of the time, they actually book a Jarvis recommendation. So if you, we, we do an A-B test, where we compare your existing site to the Jarvis recommendations, and we, we won every single bet. It's, it hasn't even been close. I'm, I'm... 80 units, right? Your minimal threshold where you said, I'm 80 units. My budget is thin. I love this idea. I think it's like, like I listen to this pod. I'm like, holy fuck. Like this, this could be really mm -hmm. game changing. I don't net, like, is there a, 
is there like a trial? Is there uh hey, let, let us show you um, like what, what does that look like? Right. So of the hundred meetings I've had, I've turned away probably 50 of them and said, you know, like full transparency, this isn't going to help you. You're not at the stage. And then I give some consulting advice, say, do this, this, and this, and let's talk six, 12 months from now. So it does not work for everyone. But if they are at the bare minimum, let's say they've got five, 10,000 web visitors, 80 properties, and they care about direct bookings, then first thing we do is we do an analysis. I'll show them what we can do. And then we do an analysis. We take a peek under the hood. We'll go under Google Analytics and we'll do a deep dive. Essentially, which pages are the highest converting? Where are guests going? Where aren't they going? What are the click-through rates? From there, we can analyze and say, if we put recommendations here, based off of our track record, we should improve you minimum 20% conversions on this page, on this page, on this page. At that point, we'll offer a pilot. We'll scope a pilot. Usually we do that for around $1,500 per month for three plus months. And uh, out of goodwill, we'll extend it if we have to, but uh, we can get these recommendations up in like a week. So it's really the down to the, the VRM or the PMC that is ready to move because we're ready right. to move fast. It's just a line of code, but they have to be ready to do it. So a lot of the times, um, actually good point to note it that we just hired uh, Braden Flaherty. He's the ex chief product officer of Blue Tent. Yeah. Huge validation for us. And uh, he's super helpful in just understanding how, I guess, the blue tents, the ICNDs of the world work. It's one ticket order that takes three minutes of blue tents time to put the on the website. So the idea is let's just get it up, up and running, $1,000 to $1,500 a month. Every time we at least return that. Uh, but most of the time, it's 5, 10x that at least. Right. So from there, we usually just give them a taste. We don't want to give them the full ride. We just show them that, okay, these recommendations on their homepage are already increasing your conversions 20%. Your right. highest converting page is your search, but you're going to have to pay for that. We're not doing this for free here. And at that point, we can already essentially understand what the ROI is on their website, knowing that search is going to be the best page, and we can scope out a deal for a few thousand dollars a month. Awesome. Uh, that, that you answered my question. I mean, that was, you know, how do you get your foot in the door? And, you know, but I, I love the fact that you're you're coming in, you're analyzing, you're diving deep in the in the analytics, you're making sure that you're right fit. Um, this isn't for everybody. This is for, you know, those that are, that are established, those that want to keep going and, and want to want to really, and, and I wouldn't want to say scale, but want to optimize. You know what they and they if they want to scale it's it's great for you but it's it's more optimizing what they have. So Twitty's money to make money too. People. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it's an investment in your business. If you want to run a profitable business, you want to make more money. Oftentimes, it takes money to make money, right? Like you know, I think hey, you and I talk mindset, about that all day, every day, all the time. Right? Like you got to we people got to get out of this mindset that getting things for free is good for them um you know so again looking at it like this too if we increase their conversion 20 percent, which is extremely conservative based off of some of our numbers mm -hmm. if you're spending mm -hmm. money on ads that means you'll spend 20 percent less to achieve the same results right so it's coming out of your ad spend in a sense and you can actually be comfortable knowing that sending people to your website will convert uh john you made a really interesting point about scaling and uh, that's interesting. There's this book called Scale by Jeffrey West. It's a, it's a very complex book. It's, he essentially connects the scaling laws between uh, cities, businesses, biology, nature. All of these things have the same exact scaling laws with different ratios. For a business, every time a business doubles in size, they at minimum need to get 20 to 25% more efficient. Otherwise, they're getting fatter, not leaner. So machine learning is not here to replace your existing team. It's there to empower the team of two to do the job of a team of 10. Right. So like stop grappling with your data, stop doing all this stuff. Let Jarvis be your machine learning, machine learning scientist, your data scientist and your deployment platform all in one. And I was gonna say that Twitty's team of like 10 plus marketers and data scientists, uh, we just got an email that one of the things we did for them saved them like a hundred days of manual labor. So um, it's just stop grappling with your data. Humans are not good with all this data. Let's just accept that. Data's for computers and machines. What's next for y'all? Like, what, like yeah. where are you going with, with, with what you're building and, and how are you going to, you know, you're hiring smart people. Um, you're, you're, you've established yourself as a, as a, a knowledge base. Um, you're a great presenter. I've seen you present two or three times now you know, very engaging. Uh, I love how you call out the audience. It's, it's a very no BS. Uh, um, you get our, you get our no BS. Right after our own hearts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so what's next for y'all? 
Yeah, I learned the no BS from the best guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, so next, yeah, like, uh, so the ne- the upcoming products that we have is like predictive reviews. So 90% of guests use reviews to book a property and 50% of guests won't even book a property without a review. Problem is some of these properties have like hundreds of reviews. So how do we sort order the reviews, predictive reviews? Uh, but what's our North Star? It's going to be adaptive web pages. So when we all go on the same website, we're all going to have an entirely different web page based off of our behavior, based off our preferences. John, maybe you like these type of recommendations. Maybe I like this type. And maybe Mateo, you like this type. And everyone's going to have their own unique adaptive web page. Uh, so that's the North Star. And uh, we're, we're on the way. We're on the way. But that's, uh, that's running. So one day we'll get there. And that, that is going to be the real Amazon experience. Um, again, which is becoming the expectation because everyone uses Amazon. So we have to follow their lead and pretty much copy and paste what they do. That's awesome. I love that. You're not getting out of here, man, without talking about the gift of life uh, speaker series and, and the work that you do in that space here on the no BS short term rental podcast. We're about the people uh, and the things that they do inside and outside of this industry uh hats off to you for your work in this space man tell please let 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 our audience know all about that and and how you got into this uh to this part of your career mateo i really appreciate that gift of life is is the most important thing to me so a gift of life is it's a bone marrow registry and uh there's about 40 million people on the global bone marrow registry there's 8 billion people on the planet so let's just say you're a white caucasian there's like a 95% chance you find a match if you have cancer you will find someone who has uh, just similar bone marrow and you'll be able to receive their bone marrow and hopefully be cured from cancer. But now let's add some diversity in. Let's say you have a little Latina. Now it's a needle in a haystack. Let's say you're a little Latina and a little this and that. Now it's a needle in a haystack and a haystack and a haystack. So the problem is, is that in order to eradicate cancer, we need to increase the numbers of the registry, but also the representation and the diversity of the registry. The problem is, is similar to the vacation rental industry, there's, there's this fear of e-commerce. There's this fear of donating bone marrow. So donating bone marrow is, is super, it's like giving blood. They put one IV here and one IV here. They take the blood out. They spin out the T cells, which is what they need. And then they put the rest of the blood back in. It takes a couple hours. That's about 90% of the cases. The other 5, 10% is when they go through the lower back. I've actually donated both ways. Uh, I, when I donated through the lower back, I went in at like six in the morning. They put me under. Our surgery took out about two water bottles of uh, bone marrow, and I walked out of the hospital by 10 a.m. I was playing tennis three or four days later. When I donated the, th- via the, the blood route, uh, that was three or four hours, and I walked out, and I just went back to work. So donating bone marrow, the technology is incredible, and it's, you can literally save a life. So my, what I'm trying to do is just increase the education that it's not that scary, and there's no reason why we can't get this global database to the hundreds of millions. It makes no sense to me. It's a really low-hanging fruit. And it, the, I guess the, my favorite part about it is that this is a cause that everyone could stand behind. Very few things in the world that everyone can support. Facts. Right. No, facts. Success. 100%. Yeah. You know, and, and who here doesn't know or has been affected by with someone with cancer? Yeah. Um, you know, everyone has. It's, you know, I don't know. I'm sure you know the numbers way more than I do, but it's cancer yeah. i mean it's there there's so many different types of cancer and if if the quickest and easiest positive you know re- result taking thing is the donation of a bone marrow why aren't we more of us doing it yeah. and and, and, and the, the diversity representation is, is huge here you know again if you look like me chances are there's a decent amount of it um but you know and but then you're you're mateo and you come from you know you're black, you're Hispanic, you're, you're everything, you know, there's a lot of Mateos out there. Um, but I'm sure the, the, the registry is, is thin. So to the registry is very easy. It's very easy. True, 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 true. No, no, Let me restate that. There's only one Mateo. Mateo, are you on the registry? I will be. So to do that, you go to giftoflife.com slash swab. We were okay. swabbing before it was cool. We've been, we'll all you got to send you a package in the mail and you swab your mouth and you send it back and then you're in the registry. It's that easy. There we go. We'll, uh, we'll put a link to that on the website. That, That's awesome. 100% yep. put we'll a link to that. We'll make sure that link gets in the, uh, the notes to the podcast. And I leave you with a, a cool story. 
Yeah, mean? absolutely. Yeah. So when, when I was donating bone marrow the last time, right, we donated through the arm. Uh, the odds are like one in a hundred thousand or so to get selected. So over the 40 million, you can do the math. It's, it's not super common. Uh, uh, so when I was donating, the nurse told me this story, how she had a 25 year old donating to the 70 year old and you don't meet for at least a year. You have to have complete privacy. And when that person gets the boat, when the transporter gets the bone marrow and they go on the plane, that plane gets air force one status. It's not allowed to be delayed and it has to get to the destination because it goes straight from my body to theirs within a couple hours. Can't wow. be delayed. But anyways, the nurse was telling me the story about how this 25-year-old donated to the 70-year-old and the 70-year-old was healed. And then for this entire life, the 70-year-old never played an instrument, didn't care about music. But after he donated bone marrow, he started getting into like heavy metal, death metal music, <laughs> instruments. When he met the 25-year-old, the 25-year-old was a death metal musician. And if you wow. think about it, there's no, you get, essentially that person has the same DNA because when you have cancer, they, they nuke your body with chemo. And then you get the bone marrow, you become that person. So there's all these weird things that happen. You get the same allergies, but the music one, I was like, this that's is crazy. crazy. That's insane. No, I love that. That's absolutely. Well, that's a great story. Hey, man, thanks so much for joining us. I learned so much. Like, truly, we could, we could yeah, go on great. forever. We, we need to have you back on in the future. Um, let, let's see where you are in a year. Let's get you back on. But Evan joining us appreciate you, you um i yeah. think i definitely know uh I, I learned a little bit about machine learning and i hope everyone that that, that has listened to the pod uh can now say hey i know what the fuck machine learning is and why it's important so uh appreciate you joining us and until next time appreciate you guys having me don't forget your awesome. homework john no i won't i won't i'm on it i looked it up you know gastro foodie experience i'm, I'm here i mean I, I knew it was foodie with gastro but i need to look it up yeah, foodie experience app. Look at it. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.